to another month of the Ampliverse Book Club. We are back here again. This month, we read the novel Black Boy Out of Time by Hari Ziad. We are back again with another episode of the Ampliverse Book Club. So um, let me introduce you to the book club hosts using pull quotes from our book today. So moving, so alive, so real. It's RJ. Hello. That's me. That's, that is you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, a rare mix of balladry, criticism, and reportage. Allie, hello. Hi. Hi. Very well-versed, multifaceted. <laughs> and finally, cuts deep but also provides healing. It's Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Hello. <laughs> Oh, uh, yes. Welcome back. Like I said, we uh, are discussing the book Black Boy Out of Time by Hari Ziad. And let's uh, I mean, let's just dive right into it. We we chose this book because we wanted to obviously pick something for to celebrate uh, Black History Month. And I feel like we picked a really good, very modern approach to uh, a, a book and learning about uh Black history. Um, and I will want to start there, like really start talking about the book's form. This is Hari Ziad's uh, debut novel. He is the, he's a, he's a writer for Race Bader and other um, essays um, and like uh, writing online. Um, but this was kind of like their first um, foray into kind of building a narrative. And so the book's form is very much kind of like a combination of memoir, but also with like these anecdotes that are, uh, you know, of current events and also in history that I wanted to, you know, ask the group, like, how did you feel about kind of diving into this really new hybrid uh, memoir form, you know? I, as I typically do, started out audiobook, and uh, I also got the Kindle version so that I could take notes because that works mm. better for me to talk into my phone into the Kindle app in my phone oh. and, um, and, and I just talk to it and then I can go back and edit as I need to, but then I have the notes where they belong and then I can export them. So, um, when I was exclusively listening to the audiobook, I did get confused when the letters, mm. um, started to happen. And I, you know, I, I heard them mention, you know, the therapist suggested, um, talking to themselves as a, as a child, their inner child. But um, I, I didn't quite get it until I was like, oh, okay. I, I see with my eyes. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will admit I was taken off guard um, because I, I really felt as if we were, it, it just began. There was no yeah. preamble. There was no welcome to my life. Here's how this book is going to go. It just, it, it began. Um, and so I think, I definitely think that it's evident that they have a history in, in essays and in writing more of an essay format. I think that kind of came through, whereas, mm. um, and it's, it's hard not to do like a comparison when it's really apples and oranges, but having just come off of uh, Queen Mariah Carey's memoir, which Absolutely. was much more of like a traditional memoir of like, yeah. here's kind of like a linear, not super like a hundred percent, but here's a more linear. And so coming into this, it was an adjustment for me and, um, yeah. of, of just finding and I, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, no, totally. And it was really interesting going through it and seeing like footnotes and like 
oh, like you're actually like, and they have a full um, like a bibliography at the end. Also, like having all of the 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 research and the references and the the yeah the references and in, in current events that he they were making the entire novel. It was so like, oh, this is this is like a work, you know, like I have to like uh he they did the great job of of kind of backing up all of the 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 claims that what I thought was really interesting being able to connect the things that there was happening in their life growing up into actual socioeconomic political like events that that kind of spoke even to a like the wider community and there I really liked that that there was always a connection between like what was what they were experiencing in their day-to-day life and how this like either one instance or or you know how they think um translates into like the the larger community which I thought was was really good but yeah I do agree there was definitely like work put into it and I felt like I had to (laughs) really slow down at times and and have to think about like you know the transition from talking about a specific memory talking about the feelings and the emotions and then being able to you know put it in context in in the larger world was was very much like they are doing so much work here that I have to really sit and Right. And take it, you know, and like and like you said, Ali, they really did just hit the ground running. Even because mm-hmm. I I did since I did the audiobook, it started with the prologue, and I wouldn't necessarily always read the prologue if we're going to be honest, but yeah. I but I listened to it, and um, I really was immediately with the um, the the metaphor of the fly, like talking mm-hmm. about how flies um, are just dying with us kind of because they're attracted to our dead cells i i immediately was like oh we're going in this is going to be uh a very deep book and it and it really was there was a lot and um the first time that i really and and this probably wasn't the first time that they did this in the book but Mm -hmm. the first time that i really noticed that was um when they talked about seeing the subway turnstile jumper and then they talked about the cost yeah. of renovating the subway and how it shouldn't have cost that much uh, based on what it costs in other countries. Mm-hmm. And they talked about um, how turnstile crime, turnstile jumping crime went up and all of all of that around that one moment of seeing an individual stopped by, you know, the, yeah. the subway police. I was I was just like, man, it, it was just so. I can imagine how overwhelming that must be for somebody that's taking these things into consideration as they live their daily life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I would like to talk more about kind of how they did set up the book, which was in three codas. So they've really put their life in these three big, I just say themes, topics like that, that shaped who they are today. Um, and you know it's not necessarily linear as it, it as it goes through, but definitely kind of like it feels more like a, an onion. Like it's definitely like they keep widening and widening. It starts with the really core issue and then kind of how it pervades through their life. So the three codas are black, queer, and free. And black definitely at the core. Um, Hari Ziad talks uh, actually coins a term in the book called misophopedia, which is. 
um, derived kind of like the uh, massage noir, like the misogyny faced um, by black women. Misafropedia he coins as the anti-black disdain for children and childhood that black youth is experience. And this, this really is kind of like the core of the book that black children um, are, are socialized and taught to basically be anti-black and, and try not to perform a certain way to not be seen as like the, you know, the wayward, like black, uh, I don't know, like what socialized, like, uh, like, pariah or or status that they may get uh growing up so it, kind of training those like th- the, those anti-black um things like early on in life and I think that really was the impetus to structure the book too of like the chapters alternate so that every other chapter is a an, a letter to his inner child um Hari Hari Gora Hari Gora thank you Catherine listened to the audiobook, so. Yes, gives me the pronunciation. <laughs> the pronunciation, yeah. thank you. Um, no, yeah, you're welcome. Um, I also, it also talks about the theft of Black childhood, which yeah. we all see in the news. And um, yeah. he brings up children like Tamir Rice, who, Tamir Rice was murdered. And the police officer that murdered him said, oh, I thought he was at least 25. And this is a 12 year old, you yeah. know? So it's, um, it's something that we are taught as a society, as we grow, like we are, we are misinformed that, you know, this child is an adult and, um, that causes them real danger, mm-hmm. um, that we as not black people cannot we cannot understand, which is much later in the book, something that he talks about. Yeah, totally. I think, I think that the, I, I was glad for him for, for to put a, a name to that, to the misafropedia. And I thought yeah. that some of the examples that they give, I thought one of the, the most clear cut was when they were talking about being in school and um that kind and there was an interaction in the hallway between one of their classmates well two of their classmates and Mm -hmm. one of them was was white and one was black and they just kind of automatically sided with the white classmate and and I thought that that study uh, the internal study that they made and kind of looked back on it and they were like why would I have automatically assumed that you know, the, the black classmate and friend of theirs was Mm -hmm. the aggressor in the situation. And I thought that that was a very, I I thought it kind of illuminated the point perfectly. And it was just one of those clear cut examples where, you know, I, I I can think of, of plenty of times in, in my life when situations like that have arisen and that have, called me to to take a step back and I can think of plenty of times when I was reading this book I'll be completely honest with you this was probably one of the most challenging books that I have read mm-hmm. um and there was there were a lot of times when I was sitting and I was like having to really ask myself is this a criticism of the book or am I feeling threatened yeah and yeah. and I think that I was of of anything in in this book I was um I, it was really important to me to have kind of 
shed the light on that that idea of mm-hmm. misafropedia i think was what i probably took the most from this yeah it i i know it's not you know it's it's definitely apples to oranges too but like there is a little bit of that that i that i can see too like with my experience of especially just like just growing up like you know being a minority and and that that idea of like you have to um be excellent and you have to kind of and already as a child like you, it breeds like a hostile environment when you are with other um you know like other kids with the same background as you and so yeah that example definitely like when he talked about the about Betty's experience yeah like there were, even there was like hostility between them because she was always seeing Hari as the like uh like ideal and there was always like the ideal black child like black kid in the school and and Betty was like the the bad black student in school and there was already that kind of like thing that they had to kind of work against and later obviously like they ended up developing a friendship together and they were like yeah that's how we I saw you that's how we saw each other when we were kids and that's just something that we were already like innately had to 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 feel and like see ourselves as you know yeah and Ibram X Kendi in how to be an anti-racist brings up the same thing he talks about racism within the black community yeah and he also talks about his parents so it's interesting because Hari Gora's parents seem a step further down the road than um, Ibram X Kendi's parents because um, Kendi talks about his parents pushing him they're doing exactly what you're talking about pushing him you have to be the best like you Mm -hmm. have to prove yourself essentially as worthy of existence which is stupid um but 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 it's what it's what they were taught and it's what we're all taught um Mm -hmm. that that people of color have to have to rise above um and that's bullshit um that we that we put that on to them um so that's definitely a parallel that I saw. Whereas with um, Hari Gora's parents, their parents, they had a more evolutionary view of race and mm-hmm. religion, but well, and I'm sure we, I don't know that we want to go this far next, but like this quickly, but, um, but not of gender. They, they, they got partly yeah. there, but they just couldn't go all the way with this understanding of, um, of, uh, non of non-binary for lack of a better word and I don't mean that just in the gender sense yeah I mean I didn't really like to be candid also like this was also very challenging for me I think in a good way because it really did help me kind of think about a lot of things that I really haven't thought about in a long time and one of them is like their spirituality and their religion Hari even says it that like that's their you know scapegoat answer is like I'm not religious. I'm spiritual, but he, but they're like, I don't really know what that means. I, that's just like an answer I give. And like, to be candid, I didn't even write in the notes a lot about the spirituality, even though that's still very much a big portion of the book. Hari grew up in a Hare Krishna community um, through their mother and, and grandmother, but um, uh, their, their father's side was, was raised uh, Muslim. So he had these two kind of like opposing things that all kept culminating also with the fact that they were living a black experience. And so there was even those examples of, you know, Hare Krishna communities, like not allowing uh, their family uh, in in their communities because they were black, Um, even though they were very much like prominent figures in the black Hare Krishna community. Right. 
which uh, it, it like always keeps funneling into like that the black experience almost trumps so many things that uh, the small avenues and nuances in, in their life of, uh, you know, exploring the, their gender and, and, and even like their religion and spirituality always kind of has to be defaulted to, well, you are a black person. So, right. you know, well, your experience I- will be different. Yeah, I mean, just so that you guys know you're not alone. I also was it was it was a tough read and for me yeah. the thing that I had to keep saying to myself was I am not supposed to fix this. Yeah. Like that was like the mode that I immediately went into as I was reading in particular the first um the first section of the book. Yeah. I was like this is terrible and horrible. How can I fix it? And I was like, "Wait. I am I am bearing witness. That is my job right now. My job right now is to listen and to learn. I'm not, I don't need to be going into fix it mode. And I also found it in, um, and I didn't notice this until I got into the second section of the book, Mm -hmm. but I found in the first section of the book that I had a difficult time relating because this is not an experience that I have because I am a white woman. Mm -hmm. And I noticed it because as soon as we shifted into the queer section of the book, I saw myself so much. And I was like, this is so much easier to read. And I was like, why, why is that? And so that was the kind of the critical moment that I had was, man, it is difficult even though I am I want to learn and I want to help it's still hard for me to to relate because I haven't lived that experience and so because I because it's difficult to relate it's difficult to um listen to yeah um I think the main one really from the first coda and as it like they they keep they keep going back to it through is, is that carceral great carceral gaze. I think like even seeing the word on its own carceral was like such a, a new thing for me and such a shift because I think we, we always see incarcerated incarceration, but actually like distilling the thing of like having the gaze of you teach your children by, by being, but it's like scared straight, you know, like you you teach children and you create these social rules by using like the fear tactic of, of going to prison, which, you know, for the black community is a real thing. Like that is something that it's almost like a default for a lot of, you know, black experiences that that is a a reality. And even like just talking about how many in his family were incarcerated for so many various things, like, was such a an eye-opening experience especially the story about his cousin Eric was definitely like obviously one of the big ones but um even like telling the story about like during their during his cousin Eric's like hearing it was like the their defendant like said like all of the, the things that led up to like the environment that that he was in and it really made me think about like yeah like that how do you how do you pass judgment and punishment when, uh, you know, these people are just having to act because they are just a product of something that they had no control of because of who they were born as decades of, of of trauma, decades of, of trauma. Yeah. And, um, I mean, talking about, um, uh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, talking about the, um, 
so many um, black people being sent to prison and that being a threat. Mm -hmm. It's it's when you think about um, he makes a comment talking about Paul, which was the other kid in the hallway. It was Paul and Betty. Paul was the white boy and uh, and how the state funnels all of its help, you know, into the Pauls of the world. And and he Mm -hmm. uh, they talk about the opioid crisis Mm -hmm. and how. Um, the opioid crisis, when it's a white person, it's, you know, oh, this is a, an addiction. This is terrible. And when it's a black person, it's a crime. Yeah. And, um, and, and that is, there's nothing clearer than, than that when you talk about um, systematic racism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was really challenging to read through it and, and go through it. But I think it was it was really cool to like, to have at least a live person to kind of follow along. You know what I mean? Like, it's definitely not just like reading a nonfiction book. You're reading a person go through these experiences in their life. And like, we're bearing, like I said, we're bearing witness. That's really what we're doing when we read a memoir from, from a black person that has gone through this, this experience. We're, we're bearing witness to, to their experiences. And, um, I think that that is the least that we can do as um, people who are not black people. Yeah. Um, I definitely shifting gears to the second coda queer, which Catherine, you've already started talking about, but yeah, like there is, there is a little bit of hope in here too, especially when Hari starts kind of developing their, you know, their expression and, and, you know, sexuality, um, but having kind of like those really tough kind of guardians, those blockers, especially from his dad, uh, to 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 help provide that. I mean, like it is it, I, like the the story definitely relates, right? Like you know, you kind of uh, meet your first. Uh, Hari talks about their first boyfriend, Michael, which like it was like such a really relatable experience of like that feeling of like your first love of just you don't really know what to do you just want to like be close to them and like spend all day like all night talking to them and even like the way yeah like the way he even described was like I didn't know I just wanted to like hold him like I don't even know like like, it's like we're brothers that was so like (laughs) I feel like I said the exact sentence to a to my first crush. I was like, it's like, you're my sister. Like I, because you're identifying that within yourself too. Yeah. Yeah. So relatable. Like, like and that was just such a huge shift from the first to go from like, man, this is tough and this is hard and I don't understand it. I'm listening, but I, man. And then to, whoa, like everything I'm like, dang, it was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And what I really loved about the queer coda was that I felt like he, Hari really got to dig into a lot of the image. The one that I wrote down was the button-up shirt metaphor. Um, he like had a, a full chapter basically where he felt he had to wear this button-up shirt to a funeral, right? Funeral, a, yeah, a wedding and then a funeral. Yes, Both. and just being able to describe that, like I feel like I am putting this on, like physically, and also like it's just easier to like have to not tell everyone in my, you know, like to go even like the, some of the cousins that are like, Oh, are you seeing any girls? Like, it's just easier to just say yes or like ignore it than to have to like actually open up and and explain it. And there's what I love about the writing is that 
even as they decide all of those things, there's so much criticism on themselves to be like, I'm doing, I'm actively doing this and that's probably wrong. And that's probably like, you know, making this worse. But like when you're in those situations, like, why would I, why would I invest the time to like, try to tell my cousins about, you know, my partner or, you know, New York and all that stuff. So very relatable for me to like, I literally do that with my family all the time. The day that, um, that I read that chapter, we went to see Frozen at Dr. Phillips and I got dressed and I, and I like wearing dresses. Like, I don't feel like I'm putting on a dress because society expects me to like, I enjoy, I typically wear what I like to wear. Well, I have been, as I'm sure you have been around for this before RJ, I have been shamed about my shoes before because I like a comfortable shoe. (laughs) I like a Sperry. I like a boat shoe, ladies and gentlemen. So I had on some white ballet flats with my, I had a white dress for Mm. to go see Frozen. And I was like, these are hurting my toes. (laughs) I am not going to wear them. And I changed and they were, they were boots. They were Sperry boots, but they were boots. So I changed my shoes. I was like, I'm not going to wear this because it's what I need to wear with this outfit. That's stupid. I'm going to wear something that I'm going to be comfortable in. And I fully did that because I read this chapter because I was like, wait, I'm doing the same damn thing. (laughs) thing. That is so funny. Uh, I will say like, Hari's like kind of how they're trying to figure figure out their their non-binary like expression and everything. It honestly made me think about like what are the things that I what are the what are the socialized things that I have always taken into like what it means to be masculine or feminine or to be gay and like do I actually agree with those things like if I had my choice of like pick you know, figure what I want to connect with. And, and yeah, it made me think about that today, like a couple of days ago, like, yeah, like, why do I want to look a certain way or like want to dress a certain way? Um, is it really because I want to, or is it because I'm expected to? expected to? And I just have always been like, yeah, I wouldn't be like, I think right now me personally, like nail polish is the, the closest thing I could, I could do, but like, what if I, you know, like, wh- and it's not like I'm saying I am, but it's just, I've always like, just put those things of like, yeah, it's just always been like gendered for me. And them going through their journey has really kind of helped open my eyes of like, it, it's all relative. Like, you know, it's all just right. things that I've been told for you to do. Yeah. I feel like I don't, I don't have a lot to say here. And <laughs> And I'm not like, I'm not trying to be a dick about it. Like, I just, I think in reading, like in reading it, I've always been a person and, and I don't know like who to credit this for, but like, I've always been a person (laughs) where I'm like, being a woman means whatever the fuck I want it to mean. You know, I've never, and I consider myself to be very like grateful that I've, I've not struggled with that concept. But I think for me, it was very it was a learning experience to be able to see it laid out so clearly and like Mm -hmm. to, to be able to kind of experience through their life and their story, what that struggle was like, because it's not something that I've, you know, and, and I think, again, I think the benefit of this book for me was that it was so much of, this is not a perspective that I'm getting day to day. Yeah. Um, And so again, like that was just 
a really big value for me in reading this was like, oh, okay, yes, okay, now I get it now. Like, yeah. I, I understand what you're saying and, you know, like, thank you. Again, you know, right. Catherine, like you were saying, like, just like bearing witness and being like, thank yeah. you for for putting this out there and for mm-hmm. allowing me to to hear you. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's really what literature is all about. Like that's, that's why I fell in love with literature and why I wanted to be a high school English teacher, because when mm. you read books, that's, that's the purpose. The purpose of reading books is to see the world through someone else's lens that you can't because you're not that person. Yeah. And uh, the first time that I had that experience was actually, well, I mean, I, I'm sure I had it before, but the first time that I had that experience and knew that that's what was happening is mm. when I read Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. And when I read that, I was like, this is so different than anything that I've ever read, anything that I've ever even cons- like thought about. Yeah. And I was like, man, I would never have, have seen or heard of anything like this had I not read this book. Um, and that, that was the first time that I was like, oh, that's what this is for. That's the point, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and talking about, um, RJ thinking about how their, um, questioning has Mm -hmm. of their, of their gender expression and all of, all of, um, to me, it's throughout the book, non-binary is a theme. Like I said, um, not just in gender. And, and, um, I, this is like my last note after I finished the book, I felt like at the end, um, there was this moment where they were talking about, um, uh, bad things that happened to them and the people that did them weren't necessarily bad people and how we can't discuss, um, uh, Essentially, you can't discuss healing because if you try to call someone out, call someone's behavior out, they're punished. And it's not that they deserve to be punished. It's that the person harmed deserves to be healed. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that to me, I was like, man, so many of our problems in society are because we've been conditioned as human beings to put things into categories like to black or white, like particularly binary one or the other categories. And it's like, you know, men or women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, black or white, um, is it good or bad? And life is a lot more complicated than that. And that's really what I learned from this book because I was thinking about it and I was like, man, I, I kind of pride myself on, on trying to learn more about things that I don't know. And I've not considered how much is a binary issue, yeah. how much is an issue between having two choices. And even when it comes down to our politics, our yeah. politics, you're a Republican or you're a Democrat. And if you're anything in between, sorry, that won't work, yeah. you know? And it's like, but life is more complicated. So, anyway. Yeah, man, like a page out of my therapist book today. She was, our, our thing today was like, things aren't just boxes you can check. And I was like, yeah, I don't know why I keep forcing things to like have to fit in a certain box that I can just easily check off. Because it's like, I will always keep looking for things to, to check off. And, and um, that's definitely, I, I, do, I do think it's interesting. And I think we could go into the last coda from what you were saying of like, um, free is the last coda. And, uh, you know, we've talked about the carceral gaze and that, that idea has really pervaded throughout the book and also like in, in, in Hari's case, like really just defines the black experience in this country very deeply. And, um, 
there's that idea of like freedom, uh, almost like at what cost? Cause it's like, you're always, there's always something that can like judge you or I, I think it, Hari puts it really vividly when they talk about like when um, the experiences of like you're you're they're worried for someone and you want to make sure they're okay and you want to call the cops just to see if they're okay but there have been stories of like that has happened and the cops ended up shooting that person that they were called for and like there's the struggle of like living under that fear, but at the same time, there is like a, 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 a socialized feeling that like you have to be secure and that is the answer to feel like secure and safe. And, and they really challenge that as something that like, how, how, you know, making those decisions, how is that possible? And like, he even, he even like actively does it. Like there's an example that he does where his partner basically says like let's let's go let's go check in on them you know right yeah um there's a type of therapy it's called dialectical behavior therapy and the whole i mean there's a lot to it it's way more complicated than i could ever explain myself because i'm not like you know a <laughs> professional uh though i have done dialectical behavior therapy and but the whole um kind of the idea is um having things that seem contradictory at the same time and allowing them to exist. That's part of it. Um, because, you know, as, as we have discussed, a lot of people have a hard time with, um, you know, it's either this or that. Yeah. And so that's part of the, the therapy. And, um, I think what you're talking about is like, there's this quote and it's one of the ones that I pulled that says, um, uh, he's talking about, um, Hari's talking about their dad. I hate when daddy changes the subject after being presented with his contradictions because it was he who showed me how powerful it could be to acknowledge the doubts that our contradictions raise. It was he who taught me that no matter how right I might think I am, I should always be willing to be wrong for something greater. Mm. And it, it's just, it is a very cerebral idea that takes a lot of sinking in like I'm still trying to grasp it but yeah. um but that's that's part of um the problem is that a lot of people aren't willing to sit with that discomfort yeah yeah I mean like that's definitely something that I I feel like a lot of us have to go through especially because the world is filled with so much discomfort right now like there's literally and like it's so hard to not personalize that or like let it affect you in real life or like feel a certain sort of like guilt right like to to like what you said like you want to try and fix it but like that's I can't I am one person like even even Hari who really does a good job of laying all of these things out doesn't actively be like I'm not here trying to solve these problems it's really just you know, trying to do their best and last as long as they can, which mm -hmm. that's just the name of the game of, of life. Right. And it's, it's like when, once you realize that it's just like, yeah, that's yeah. in the same way. as like, <laughs> we're talking about um, trying to be able to talk about wrongs that someone has done without defining them as bad. Yeah. Um, that, that discourse is 
is going to be important for our future as um, humans. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, that made me think of another thing from How to Be an Anti-Racist, which was that uh, Ibram X. Kendi says that white supremacists are the ones who made the word racist a pejorative term. And because when you do that, it takes the emotion up immediately Mm -hmm. and you cannot talk about it. And if you can't talk about it, you can't discuss it. You can't heal from it. You can't repair. Um, And so I feel like that's kind of something that's been done in terms of the prison system. It's we take it all the way up so fast that we don't have time to even consider alternatives. Yeah. I think, I think I want to cap the conversation of this book by going back to what I, what I believe is really the core of the book is that Hari wants to reconnect with her inner child be, and went through like, you know, Hari Gora was lost at some point, right? Like he, he lost that, that child. And you read through the book of like, you know, obviously like very like, um, very vivid events of of how that child was lost for for no fault of their own obviously just like kind of a product of of you know certain situations i think the main one is that um there was an instance where they were he was a, a kid and with another like kid of his age like they're you know like as as a as as like two boys like just you know expressing themselves and the the other boy just kind of tells their parents and it obviously escalated and and became kind of like uh, a very like uh what is the word like corporal right like corp like child corporal like, punishment like, corporal punishment yeah like just you know like disciplining their child and uh, he talks about how his father kind of punishes him for it because boys don't do that and that became such as like the very graphic thing and and even like you know in the contradiction quote that you just said like that was a product of that like Hari's dad doesn't even remember that that happened um but it's that it's that idea of like it just made me think about yeah like the you know the idea that a lot of uh, uh definitely like queer kids growing up had to like be subject to like being beaten the gay away or you know beaten beating those things that may deviate you from from um what is the right path and trying to like go back to their inner childhood and then find that that child again I think is something that even when I was reading them go through it I was like I haven't done that I haven't sat down and actually thought about like what were the things in my childhood that made me kind of like speed up the process quickly that I wasn't able to, you know, just be a kid because there was really no opportunity in certain times. So I think the the book really does a good job, a beautiful job of that journey. And I think that was my biggest takeaway is that I loved watching them kind of slowly unwrap and unearth more stuff as they go deeper into their childhood and what, you know, may have caused losing them so it made me like want to be like should i start writing letters to my to like baby rj of like you know just to be like what were these moments you know uh i am curious though is this our first covid 
like book. Like this is the, I felt like this is the first time we read something that actively was like, this is happening during COVID. Yeah. I think you're right. I have to say there, I was looking, I was looking at some books to, to recommend for the next time. And there was one that was like, specifically said that it talked about the pandemic it was like a novel and I was like pass I don't need to read about it I'm still living it like it's, still, it's not done like I don't I meme. don't know that meme I'm so tired of living through historical moments yeah like that, I don't that's me I don't need to reflect on that right now because I'm still <laughs> living in it it's like all the memes of like kids in 2078 reading their textbooks like wow this 2020 chapter is so long <laughs> Oh, God, help us all. Yes. Okay, well, thank you, Catherine and Allie. I know this was a really tough conversation. I Mostly because we literally read Mariah Carey's memoir. (laughs) (laughs) The biggest contrast. Like, we went from one end of the spectrum to the complete opposite end. Yeah. I will say, I, I mean, Hari and their partner, I was I was like, they, they are a sexy couple. I mean, I've <laughs> never met these people, but the way that they've described them, even like he he said like, oh, yeah, my pants ripped just so, <laughs> so that he could show off their, their thighs. I was like, that is a that is peak gay New York move. Oh, mwah, love it. The culture. But anyway, thank you so much for <laughs> diving into Black Boy Out of Time. This was definitely uh, a fascinating read. And if anyone is interested in kind of digging deep into those those really deep intersectionalities, this is definitely a book that we would recommend. So for our next book club. I fear it's not going to get any lighter with this next book. I... <laughs> I was I I wondered I wondered I think I think after this next book we need to just like pick fluff yes Uh, I I got you I got you I'm gonna bring Star Wars books no no, perfect okay okay, I won't make you read Star Wars but we'll find something Catherine will give the fluff Catherine will be it'll be a fluffy uh it'll be a fluffy April because we're reading this next one for March and then April will just you know April showers so it'll be nice nice and fluffy but before that (laughs) we're gonna get a little bit sadder let's get a little bit sadder um we're gonna keep going by reading invisible child poverty survival and hope in an american city by andrea elliott there's the book right here and don't forget you can get a copy on the bookshop.org um let me read the jacket copy and then ali talk uh, a little bit about you know how you found this um So Invisible Child follows eight dramatic years in the life of Dasani Coates, a child with an imagination as soaring as the skyscrapers near her Brooklyn homeless shelter. Born at the turn of the century, Dasani Dasani is named for the bottled water that comes to symbolize Brooklyn's gentrification and the shared aspirations of a divided city. As Dasani grows up, moving with her tight-knit family from shelter to shelter, this story goes back to trace the passage of Dasani's ancestors from slavery to the Great Migration North. By the time Dasani comes of age, New York City's homeless crisis is exploding as the chasm deepens between rich and poor. In the shadows of this new Gilded Age, Dasani must lead her seven siblings through a thicket of problems, hunger, parental drug addiction, violence, housing instability, segregated schools, and the constant monitoring of the child protection system. When, at age 13, Dasani enrolls at a boarding school in Pennsylvania, 
Her loyalties are tested like never before as she learns to code switch between the culture she left behind and the norms of her new town. Dasani starts to feel like a stranger in both places. Ultimately, she faces an impossible question. What if leaving poverty means abandoning the family you love? I um so I came across this um I think I think it's because I think I came across the story series when the book was being published mm-hmm. um but the the origins of the book come from a, a series of long form articles that were written for the New York Times that took nice. a look at poverty and homelessness in New York City and <clears throat> I was really struck in reading those of um how clear of a portrait that they offered of, yeah. of all of the issues that were mentioned um, and just the insight that was provided that, again, it's it's bringing to light a story that probably would normally never be told. Um, so I wanted to to get the full view of it in the book. And yeah. so, yeah, I'm I'm I'm. It's weird to say I'm excited to read it, but I I think it's it it will be a really um, I don't know it's it's going to be an interesting interesting read. Yeah, it'll be interesting to 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 see like how you you feel afterwards too, of like how it translates when it is just one one long form that you can just track you know a story. So yeah, well, the Invisible Child you can grab a copy of it and all of the books we've read here in the Ambiverse Book, uh, book Club at the Ambiverse Bookshop. And if you purchase a book there, it not only helps the universe, but also helps a local bookstore in your area. So you can go to the link down below, bookshop.org slash shop slash the universe. Thank you for watching or listening along to the Ampliverse Book Club. You can find and follow us on social media at the Ampliverse on Twitter and Instagram. And we can keep the conversation going across the Ampliverse by joining the Discord server as well. It's linked on the episode. Finally, if you love the show and others we do here, and if you feel obliged to tip a dollar or two, you can do that on our Kofi and episode which helps keep the light on in the universe Emily Catherine thank you so much this is this is a a beefy book but I think we're we're showing off our chops that we can handle so yeah excited to, to dive into more um thank you so much for joining our book club and we will see you next month until then lead on bye bye the universe